Hello, everyone, and welcome to Hockey Jersey Addicts, the podcast and support group for the addicted hockey jersey fan to talk twill, wool, acrylic, and polyester. Join us as we share what we've learned and uncovered about the game of hockey through collecting, restoring, customizing, and selling hockey jerseys. Around here, no jersey is too small or too big, too new or game-worn, too loud or too proud. We see everyone as equal and explore a diverse range of topics ongoing in the hockey community. We'll also dive into the vault with hockey history, trivia, and reminisce as much as possible about the grails we've got, the thrift store finds, and the watchlist wants. So put on some polyester, give us a listen, and if you like what you hear and want more, make sure to subscribe and follow us on your podcast station and social media of choice at Hockey Jersey Addicts. And remember, you miss 100% of the jerseys you don't collect. Hi guys, welcome back to another episode of Hockey Jersey Addicts. It's Dan, aka Van Can Fan 75 And today I have the pleasure to be joined by two other addicts out there, enough to write a book that we're all enjoying right now. I've got the authors of Fabric of the Game. That's right, Chris Creamer and Todd Radham are here today with me to discuss everything about this book and their love for hockey jerseys. So thank you both so much for coming on today. I'll start with you, Todd, age before beauty, of course. Uh, thanks for coming on. Why don't you say hi to all of our listeners out there? Well, we can have both, can't we, Dan? But, uh, <laughs> touche, but thank you. Thank you so much for having us. We are uh, excited. I can't speak for Chris. I mean, but maybe I will. Uh, I'm excited to be here with you and with your listeners. And what a great, uh, always a great time to talk hockey sweaters. It is. Absolutely. Yes. Um, and of course, I'm excited, Todd. What kind of thing is that to say? I think you could speak on my behalf for that one. Who wouldn't be excited about uh, such a great book? And it's doing so well. Right. I not know. That not that we're surprised. <laughs> right. We knew it. We knew it. But we shocked the world, he says. Yes, I, we did shock the world. I am just so happy for you guys. And I mean, it, it gangbusters just out of the gate. Like you couldn't even get it quickly right afterwards. So were you just just like, oh, my God, this is a, an amazing problem to have. And what do we do next? And I, I think you kind of hit it. Uh, Dan, you know, it, it is a problem. Um, but on the other hand, a nice problem. So basically what happened was, uh, you know, working with our publisher and distributor, our publisher, uh, Skyhorse Books slash Sports Publishing, distributed by Simon & Schuster. Um, mm -hmm. There was an underestimation for demand of this title, to say the very least. And uh, the book blew out in I believe less than 48 hours. Uh, they went back for a second printing, which is somewhat of an arduous thing under the best of circumstances because it's being done overseas in Asia. And uh, given the fact that we're in the middle of a pandemic where, uh, you know, transportation and, and, you know, all this stuff just hasn't been smooth. But the good news is, is that as we sit here tonight, the second printing has landed in Simon & Schuster's warehouse located somewhere in the uh, central portion of the United States and is about to be ready to be released to the greater world. Awesome. Congratulations. And what, what great news for all of those people out there that are 
wondering when they're going to be able to get another one and they need the printed version like myself who just loves being having that flip through feel and just being able to pull it off the shelf and grab it because uh chris i i'm curious from your perspective too uh were you were you kind of like okay this makes sense because we're also going to do a digital version which i know is always available and you're like people will probably just be happy with that or uh, no, I, I mean, I knew people would want the print version, right? Like a book like this, uh, especially when it's being designed and laid out by uh, my esteemed colleague, Mr. Todd Radom, uh, we knew that people would want the physical copy. Like, come on, right? Like it, it doesn't compare to the digital version. I, I don't care. Uh, I mean, some people out there prefer the digital. Yeah, but uh you're not quite right i think if you prefer the digital over the <laughs> there's just something something magical about being able to flip the page and actually see it mm -hmm. and and experience it and read it and then uh, over time that spine gets worn out just from looking at it so many times uh and having it on your shelf just that alone and on your don't put it on your shelf put it on your coffee table where everyone can see it yeah. uh, it, it's it's just amazing like just for the cover alone right that, that cover yeah. is not meant to be a thumbnail on an e-reader. That that cover is meant to be displayed proudly amongst all your uh, your uh, possessions. So uh, I, I am I am I am surprised that it sold out so fast. Uh, maybe I just underestimate myself as well, but uh, not anymore. <laughs> so uh, I'm really looking forward to actually seeing this book on the shelf in a bookstore one yeah. day because uh, it just sold out so fast the first time that I never quite got to experience that but uh perhaps um perhaps at some point you people stop buying the book so i can actually see it <laughs> they know i'm kidding keep buying it it's it's funny because i've never wanted like to go to a book signing so much before because i just figured like the panel would be a lot like this conversation we're having right now i would be like how did you decide what went into the book and oh my gosh during your research it must have been so fun reading all these other factoids that you just knew couldn't make it in but are just such a compelling part of hockey history and I personally, the reason love the book is because while it's laid out alphabetically for the most part by team, you're also learning a lot about the history of the game through hockey jerseys. And that's personally why I love collecting. I think it's just such a fun way to converse with people about the sport that uh, I love and so many other people love. So that's kind of why when I saw it, I was like, I must have this because it was a manifestation of a lot of what I did with collecting. How did, how did it manifest for you guys? How did it go from just a pie in the sky idea or a thought together um, to, you know, collaborating and making this a reality? Well, uh, I think Chris and I have talked about collaborating on something for quite some time. And uh, what became Fabric of the Game kicked into gear, I would say in, um, in the fall of 2017, okay. when we really got serious about this. And I flew up to Toronto for uh, two days and Chris and I uh, paid a visit to the Hockey Hall of Fame's uh, Resource Center, uh, looking at 
old sweaters and looking at publications and paying a visit to the museum part of the Hall of Fame and really immersing ourselves in the visual traditions of this great oh, game. Yeah. And, you know, feeling, you know, a very tactile experience, not unlike having the actual book as opposed to a digital book, having the privilege, and, and Chris, I guess you can expand upon it, of uh, being admitted to this very, um, you know, uh, rarefied air, if you want to look at it that way. Uh, and, you know, we worked on this book for, uh, as it turned out, uh, three years, finished it up in the middle of a pandemic. And Chris, I guess you can expand upon that if you'd like. And also uh, how we kind of brought the thing to fruition in terms of a, an editor and a publisher, which I think is a good story. Yeah, sure. Well, um, for me, it started uh, a little bit earlier, and that was uh, through my role with the National Hockey League. I was hired as a research consultant for their centennial celebration. Mm -hmm. My job was, I mean, for me, a dream job, uh, and that was to help them nail down the uh, team logo timeline for every franchise. And they're like, nice. yeah, right. So oh, that's so cool. Good guy for the job, right? So part of that, they they allowed me to go into this Hockey Hall of Fame Resource Center and, and work with guys like uh, Craig Campbell and Phil Pritchard, cool. uh, the two people you see walk out the Stanley Cup yep. at the end of every season. And uh, what this is, is, a, is like a big warehouse which is full of the things that they don't have the room to display at the museum. Uh, and so it's like a dream come true, just walking down these aisles and being able to pull out, Oh, look, there's a Jacques Plante's like game worn mask. And it's just sitting in a bag there. <laughs> or, oh my gosh. Uh, like these, we, we found hot, like what was it? Eddie Shores Jersey from the 1920s, Boston Bruins, right? Like yeah. things you can't even imagine even existing. And there it is right in front of you. And it's a, like a huge, huge, like an airport hangar full of this stuff. Wow. Climate controlled and, and very secure, yes. I would add. And uh, during my my job with the NHL, you start getting these ideas. You know, I you could really put a, a book together with all this this stuff here. That's what, what can I do? Um, always looked for an excuse to work with Todd. And after reading his series of articles on the sporting news and through his own blog, mm -hmm. um, he, he, did, he had done some great uh, dives into a team identity history. Uh, mm -hmm. Go check out his site if you want to see those. They're mm -hmm. still up there and they're, they're amazing. And uh, I, I proposed the idea to him. That was like spring of 17, I believe. And uh, as Todd mentioned, he he came up in October 17, went to that resource center together, went to a Leafs Red Wings game at the Air Canada Center, sat center ice, uh, bought tickets five minutes before puck drop off of uh, a stub hub or something for, you know, a fraction of the price, watched the game, went to Gretzky's after the game and uh, ran, into, ran into Wally. Walt, was he there? Yeah. Ah, he was there. That's awesome. <laughs> And uh, uh, from there, it was, you know, we started writing it without a publisher. Okay. Um, and uh, Todd was also promoting his baseball book, Winning Ugly. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. uh, part of his promotion included a stop at the Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown, New York. Uh, nice. And any excuse to go to Cooperstown is an excuse I'm going to take. And with Todd, they're doing a, Todd was doing a talk and a signing. And unfortunately, due to uh, reasons 
I don't want to get into on the air. We were late for the talk. However, we got there for the signing. And uh, following that, we all met up at the house of uh, Jeff Katz, who was the mayor of Cooperstown. Oh. And yes, and there before us was this buffet spread of not only uh, a Cooperstown's finest pizza, but uh, <laughs> various special edition Oreo flavors, okay, <laughs> <laughs> which he had curated over the years. And as we ate uh, pizza and uh, special limited edition Oreos, we met, well, I met, Todd already knew him, uh, Jason, who uh, became our editor and eventually assigned us to the deal with uh, Skyhorse and Sports Publishing. Uh, maybe about two months later is when that finally happened. And that's what really uh, got things going from that point forward. We had a, a date, a target date, and uh, we uh, we uh, each picked our teams that we wanted to uh, tackle. Okay, and cool. we just steamrolled right through it. And uh, I mean, what a ride that was and, and how much fun it was. You kind of touched upon it uh, earlier, just... Uh, uh, researching this stuff and and the stuff you would find and and uh it's almost like uh, i mean we can't explore new lands anymore it's all been discovered and satellite photos and all that but we can explore new unearthed hockey uniform and uh, name facts and it almost made me feel like a modern day explorer discovering new things never before known <laughs> and it was kind of, it was kind of funny because you know we think about the national hockey league and we think about the original six uh, and, you know, the Canadians look much like the Canadians of 1918. Right. And the, you know, the Boston Bruins have changed over the years, but they, you know, I mean, there's, and, and you know, the Detroit Red Wings look much like the Detroit Red Wings of the early 1930s. And I remember saying to Chris at one point, uh, listen, you know, we're going to have a lot to talk about when it comes to the the looks of the Dallas Stars or the New York Islanders, the Canucks, teams that have changed a lot. How can we squeeze 2,000 words out of the Montreal Canadiens when we don't know who designed the logo? We're never going to know this. And they really haven't changed. And yet we did. And, uh, you know, the wonderful part to me about research, and I, I believe Chris feels the same way, is that, you know, you learn something and you disappear down these rabbit holes. And sometimes they lead nowhere, but, you know, learning something is always a good thing. And uh, being sort of pushed out of your preconceived notions about something you think you know about is even better. Uh, and a good Definitely. example of that, Todd, is when I spent, what, five hours pouring through French language newspapers from the early uh, or from like 1919, just trying to find any evidence that the Quebec athletics were actually known as the bulldogs, bulldogs. officially yes. and if they if they had a, 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 a particular french name or if it was actually athletics in english and french and if they had the accent on the e in quebec for the french version of the name and and what did we end up finding nothing <laughs> but it was about four or five hours you know um, there's not always a smoking yeah. gun when it comes to this stuff but no, just being yeah. able to uh definitively you know kind of come to a conclusion that this uh, short-lived Quebec franchise was not called the Bulldogs. That's a separate team, and they are the Athletics. We found newspaper accounts. They will. They are not the Bulldogs. They are the Athletics. We feel like we contributed something important. Now you did find a smoking gun on that, right? Because we, you found an article that specifically said, though we may call them the Bulldogs officially, they're Athletics, and like, well, can't get any more definitive than that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and I mean. 
smoking gun smoke uh montreal uh wanderers burn down arena <laughs> nice segue you, 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 you were gonna go with with schwartz's you know <laughs> but you 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 can as a casual observer you think oh well that sucks the wanderers only lasted six games in the nhl not a long lasting franchise but you realize that they have a history that spans winning more Stanley Cups than some franchises that exist today. And you're like, I just can't, I just can't write two sentences and then that's it. It just doesn't seem right. It's not fair. It's not justice. Right. So that's, I think what happens with the rabbit holes. And then you're all of a sudden you're learning about uh, who is it? Margaret um, Norris giving hand signals to Con Smythe in backdoor meetings because she's a woman and can't vote on league decisions when she's owner of the uh, Red Wings. And it's just like, how did I get here? Where, why, why, why is there a strike that's determining whether or not we drink Molson beer anymore and allow the WHA merger to happen? Like, yes. I don't, I don't yeah, know. Preconceived notions. We talk about the you know, the history of the Edmonton Oilers. The Oilers have, you know, pretty much looked the same as they did when they were in the WHA. Some, you know, a few shifts here and there. But but uh, we we learned uh, why their colors are uh, blue and orange and the marketing story behind it all. And, yeah, we love this stuff. And that your book came in handy for me when people were... Uh, commenting on their reactions of reverse retro jerseys in general, but uh, one that kind of rubbed people a little the wrong way, I think, before the kits were fully seen was the Winnipeg Jets. And I was like, oh, but you don't understand, like an early concept jersey color pattern for that team was these colors. And it was a big W, uh, but it's also an earlier logo mixed with an earlier color palette. And I'm like, that's pretty cool. But I don't know if a lot of people know that because I'm one of the few that got a copy of the book and was reading through it and noticed this stuff. So um, it's so worth getting because it's just like you peek through history in so many different ways. Um, and I'm just curious, we've been talking about all these cool, fun stories and rabbit holes. Was there anything that you had a real hard time omitting from the book that maybe you can tell us about now that just you think is just a fun quip about hockey jersey history or hockey history in general? Um, well, I mean, as you said, Dan, we, we have itemized every team that played a game or a season in the history of the National Hockey League. And uh, the Montreal Wanderers of the world uh, don't warrant as many words clearly as the Canadians, uh, for example. Uh, the Seattle Kraken are in there. They haven't even played a game. That's another story entirely. But I think we did a pretty good job of getting the really important stuff out there. We definitely left some uh, minutiae on the table. Uh, we had a lot of push and pull, I think it's fair to say, in insofar as uh, you know, prioritizing, you've only got a certain amount of real estate available. Um, we wanted to maintain a balance, I think, of, of uh, words and pictures. And, uh, you know, I, I, let's put it this way. I personally don't think we left any anything out that was really, really important. But, uh, you know, things that are that are dear to our hearts will remain there for sure. Chris might feel differently. <laughs> Um, well, Todd knows this. I just wanted a thousand more pictures in the book, <laughs> but I, I, I set you up. 
<laughs> but I mean, realistically, I, this thing can't be the size of a phone book. Like if you, if you wanted to put in every photo that we wanted to put in there, you wouldn't be able to carry it. Right. You need a two man team, uh, probably back braces and all that. But um I think we we got a nice balance in there. Uh, we we did some well. We didn't get a photo of every jersey that ever existed in there. Uh, there are online resources for that, such as my website. Um, however, uh, we did do a great job, I think, of focusing on the actual stories behind them. It's right in the title, the stories behind the names, and uh, I don't think we omitted anything. We we really got in there. We dug deep. Um, uh, I will say, uh, having recently read the uh, Maple Leafs chapter, I I wish we included the story about why it's Leafs rather than leaves. I, oh, that is cool. Um, yeah, we we missed we missed that, but uh, that's because there's just so much cool Maple Leaf stuff in there that uh, totally that we, uh, we didn't get to it. So, uh, other than that, I, I think we hit it up. We we got it. And wasn't there an owner that like opposed the whole? name tags the name plates on the back so for a while they made them yeah. the same color so like it was like oh no they're technically there yeah harold ballard yep he God, he didn't guy. get away with it either <laughs> the nhl was like wait a second <laughs> but uh yeah I, I just saw one of those jerseys the other day on an auction site they, they still exist with the uh, blue on blue nameplate oh no way that's so yeah. cool oh well, you mentioned your website. It's something I did want to bring up to sportslogos.net is an excellent resource for anyone like myself who is just spending an exorbitant amount of time trying to un, like justify buying a different jersey of the Canucks <laughs> or something because, oh yeah, that color was slightly different or that logo or, oh, that's the anniversary uh, design. That's the patch that it became. Got it. Cool. And you've done so much with the site too. You also have a YouTube channel that is very informative. Uh, it's not, none of these resources are hockey only. They're very, um, very across the uh, sport palette. And Todd, you yourself, you, you've spanned a lot of different um, genres of sport as well with both writing about it and working with teams. Um, you, you've designed professional teams logos. I know you're a big baseball guy as well. So um, have you guys always just been really interested in sport design and that was like a thing, no matter the sport that you were involved in, or was it kind of born out of either for you, Chris hockey and Todd baseball. And, and then it became more like, Hey, I need to expand and, and, and grew to the other sports from there. This is for me. I'm taking it. Yeah, you want to start it out? I mean, sure. I mean, well, if we're doing it chronologically, I'm going to jump in about 20 years after you, but <laughs> um, we'll keep it, keeps it lively here. Okay. Keeps it lively. All right, let's go. Uh, I think I always uh, had an interest in design and logos and uniforms. Uh, and that goes right back to uh, day one. Uh, and um, you said you watched the uh, unified podcast the other day. Mm -hmm. And I mentioned this story in the podcast as well as I remember going to a hockey game with my dad and just focusing on the uniforms of the teams um, and, you know, not so much caring about the game so much. 
And uh, that just carried forward as I got older, right? I'd, I'd go to uh, the Sky Dome with my parents and and I would uh, notice what the other team was wearing. I would notice uh, the design of the statistics on the scoreboard, for example, mm-hmm. uh, the advertisements in the outfield, things like that. Uh, and I always found more interest in how things were sort of laid out and set up uh, in the elements around the game. Now, I mean, I'm still a big sports fan. I, I love the game. I watch it, but I will focus on the things around it and what the players are wearing. And that's just, just been that way since I was a sports fan right from the beginning. Um, now you keep mentioning, uh, Chris with hockey. I, I'm a baseball fan primarily more than hockey. Okay. Uh, cool. and that's just, uh, where I grew up and how old I am. Like when I was of age, the blue Jays were number one every year and the Maple Leafs were number 26 every year. So, uh, don't blame me. <laughs> I can't help it. Uh, blue Jays number one for life. Maple Leafs number two, <laughs> nothing personal. It's not a very Canadian way to go, but I think you'll find everyone around my age group in this area. Yeah. 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 I was born in Toronto and I'm going to be 35 this year. So I feel like we're a couple years apart and I distinctly remember horns honking everywhere in the city when they won the world series. And I can still remember like the Coca-Cola can that had like the lineup on it. And like, I think if you go to every restaurant in Toronto and use the bathroom, everyone's got like a world series champions, like poster, like in there somewhere. It's like a, it's a huge part of Toronto. So it's amazing how big that like can't Toronto seen as a hockey city and it is, but going to any sports establishment in Toronto, the blue Jays have such a huge presence there. Yeah. Uh, More than the Raptors more. I wouldn't say more than the Leafs, but you know, maybe equal to the Leafs, uh, but I'm going way off topic right now. <laughs> hey, that's all right. I, I felt a little nostalgic because you you said Skydome and I was like, oh. yeah, all right. <laughs> that's a good one. Uh, so what about you, Todd? Yeah, I mean, I am much like Chris in the sense that, uh, you know, ever since I was a kid, I have focused on uh, what I call the visual culture of sports, right? In a way that, uh, you know, uh, never a great athlete necessarily. Um, but, but at any rate, the difference here is the fact that, uh, I'm, I, I'm, I'm part of a family of artists, right? Yeah. And fourth artists, generation, right? Fourth generation. That's right. So, you know, I would go with my, my dad to, uh, you know, baseball games, Yankee games. I grew up in uh, New York and, uh, Hey, I remember when the, uh, the blue Jays came into existence in 1977, and I was absolutely, you know, enraptured by what they were wearing, by this new modern logo, the uniforms. I mean, I saw them play in person uh, at least three, four times in 1977, 78 at Yankee Stadium. Loved the logo then, loved the logo now. And of course, you know, I pursued design as a vocation uh, and began to specialize in sports design uh, at, at a point where, you know, I say this. Every single day, uh, it was a, a very nascent field. Mm. Uh, if we had a sports design convention, it would probably be, uh, you know, less than 10 guys. You could do it in a bar. It would all be guys. <laughs> mm. uh, it's a very different field now in a great way. Um, so, yeah, I started working with, uh, with uh, leagues, teams, branding for teams, uh, events, et cetera, et cetera, designing uniforms back in the early 90s. So it's been quite a journey. And as far as different sports is concerned, you know, uh, again, you know, growing up where I did, uh, New York, a lot of sports to absorb. 
But I will say that I have always been, you know, especially in love with the visual culture of hockey, dating back to the WHA days. I had here a an envelope I wrote away to the WHA, and they sent me stickers, team logo stickers. So I have my Indianapolis Racers sticker here. Uh, you know, the, the 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 New England Whalers, they're all here. And then when I was in college, uh, I lived one block from Madison Square Garden, and I used to go to a lot of Rangers games. And I had a friend of mine who I went to school with who had a partial season ticket plan at that time. It was not a necessarily expensive thing, certainly relative to today. It's, you know, crazy difference. But we would go up to uh, the blue seats up in the upper deck in the garden and uh, sit in the front row and bring our art portfolios. And you could stick them with, you know, maybe a 12 pack of beer cans and nobody would care. And, uh, you know, in those days, I got to see a lot of great hockey. Oh man, absolutely. Those were, those were some amazing times. And unfortunately some hard times for my Canucks in the mid nineties there too. <laughs> um, and I, I have to ask, uh, from both now where the era that we grew up in, Chris and I, and, and yourself and your work in sport and design and art and getting into it in the mid nineties, you know, a big part of hockey history people may not appreciate is that hockey cards have a significant effect on the 94 lockout because of how much money there was in cards back then. And I remember like before knowing that, like I I've been stashing my Martin Brodeur rookie rookie card think it's worth a lot of money now knowing there's like 50,000 of them that were printed <laughs> but another cool thing about sets back then were checklist cards and stuff used to be like illustrated um athletes or or like captured moments and stuff and I'm curious did you ever get involved in any, in doing any of that or was it more logo uh, for you yeah, all on the logo front, not completely all. I did uh, and have always worked with licensees and business partners of, you know, various professional sports leagues, you know, people who make the stuff. But cards mm -hmm. is always a very, uh, you know, that's a very segmented thing. And of course, we all know, and, and I'm sure many of your listeners know, you know, the card business sort of like blew up at a certain time and not in a good way because of oversaturation. Right. And uh, what, what was at once, you know, one time huge sort of, you know, scaled back at some point. So, uh, yeah, I mean, like you guys, you know, I collected cards when I was growing up, not necessarily obsessively, um, but, uh, you know, love the design of them, still love the design of them. And I think, Dan, you, you know, you hit on something important. The 90s, when you and Chris were, you know, coming of age as sports fans and human beings. When we talk about sports design, uh, things went a little off the rails at that point. Oh, yeah. Um, there, was, there was a lot of uh, experimentation, I think it's fair to say. And uh, I say this in my baseball book, Winning Ugly, I'm a, I'm a child of the 70s. And at that time, you know, the experimentation sometimes resulted in gigantic flaming grease fires, dumpster fires. <laughs> And sometimes they were just joyously wonderful. And I think, you know, the same thing happened in the, in the nineties. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I mean, uh, gosh, there were some interesting jerseys back then to say the least. And I'm even thinking like seventies and white skates with the California golden seals and stuff like that. There are some, there's some interesting times for sure. 
Um, and both of you either are designing or very heavily involved in the discussion of logos. So one of the things I wanted to ask you both was um, if you could take any logo off the shelf of the NHL right now and get a chance to work with it, either to do a redesign, to do a, a third jersey, to, to do anything, is there, is there any team that you'd like to work with or any logo idea that you see out there that you really love that you'd like to experiment and create with? And I'll start with you, Todd. Well, I think uh, a couple of teams come to mind for two different reasons. Number one, I think uh, a team that may benefit from a, a, um, a fresh look at what they look like to me would be the Columbus Blue Jackets. Okay. I would say that uh, teams have license, uh, some teams have license to burn it down and start from scratch. And why is that? Uh, a tradition of winning makes it difficult to, uh, to do something like that. So I guess what I'm trying to say is the Montreal Canadiens should always look like the Montreal Canadiens, regardless of the fact that they haven't won a cup in a long time, but there is a storied history involved there. The same would apply to the Red Wings. But in the case of the Blue Jackets, they are sort of frozen in amber circa, you know, 2000. And I think they could benefit from a little bit of a reboot. And then the second part of it, I think, is an interesting one. Uh, some teams have license to paint around the edges and perhaps uh, expand the look of their team. And I think of here in the New York area, the New Jersey Devils, a team with a very storied history, multiple Stanley Cups, They've maintained the same logo, albeit with a color shift along the way. But uh, if we think about the Devils, they really don't have a deep visual program. There is no secondary logo. Uh, they don't have a, a noticeable word mark to speak of. And this has been a sort of uh, consistently Lou Lamorello thing. Yes. Uh, you know, a guy who does not go for bells or whistles. But I think that there are, you know, plenty of, of uh Original six style. Let's look at it this way. Um, a lot of there are a number of teams that that have a, a little bit of an expanded array of visual assets. I think the Devils could could get a little deeper. Let's just put it that way. That's uh, I like that Devils answer too because I mean even when they started doing I think the Heritage Classic. They were like, oh, we'll just use the jersey that we've been using kind of incrementally over time, which is really just our first jersey anyway. It's like, God, could you get any lazier? Like, just start, <laughs> just start doing something new and run with it. So I love that. And um, yeah, I agree with the Blue Jackets. Um, and I love the way that you phrase that answer. I've never considered the effect that um, success would have on the ability to tear things down and start over. So absolutely. Great, and and I would add to that, that, you know, my experience in on the design side has always been that teams that make a change and really burn it down to the ground do so for one of several very defined reasons, uh, a change in ownership quite frequently. Um, look what happened to the Florida Panthers several years ago. And I like what they did. Um, and this is a team that hadn't necessarily won in a while. And again, you know, to reiterate what I just said, same thing. If you don't have a tradition of winning, uh, you know, the, the, you, you really, it makes it difficult to move forward. Uh, if, if you do, let's just put it that way. Mm -hmm. All right, Chris, what about you? What do you want to get your hands on? Oh man. Well, I mean, Todd picked a great one with the uh, blue jackets. So mm -hmm. how about the LA Kings? 
Just, oh yeah. Why? Yeah. Um, well, do you want to see it go back to some royal colors, or do you I, like the chevron days? Or here's the what? thing with the LA Kings: I always like what they're currently not wearing. Does that make sense? <laughs> <a thing>? uh, <laughs> when when they were black and silver in the Gretzky days, I wanted them to go back to purple. When they added the purple again in the early 2000s, I wanted them to go back to black and silver. Now I want purple and gold again. And just looking at those reverse retro uniforms, I I love that like mm. the combination of eras with the, the white chevron logo on the front and the, the purple and gold this is a team that has sort of bounced back and forth uh with uh what their identity is and as a canucks fan you have no idea what that's like um <laughs> and they just need at this point it's like okay maybe you just need to merge everything together and uh, roll with it going forward kind of like what the san diego padres or the milwaukee brewers are doing you know figure out what your look is what your iconic look is and if you even go to the king's chapter in our book uh we use purple and gold as their color scheme in there just because we we think that that's their iconic look and it is right no one else is purple and gold it's the kings they own it so Mm -hmm. why not own it and go forward with it and if i could change one team that's the one i would do uh, and I really want to quickly go back. You talked about the illustrated team checklists. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, many of those were created by uh, Vernon Wells's father, the former Blue Jays outfielder. No kidding. Uh, Vernon Wells Sr. So, you know, go back and find some of those old checklists. Look in the bottom corner and you'll see V. Wells is, is signed in the corner. Very talented painter. Yeah. That's really cool. I knew that uh, Terry Smith, another guy that comes up sometimes in hockey conversations because of his affiliation with the Sharks logo design among other teams like the Barons and such, uh, you know, so that's really cool. I didn't know that there, that, that relationship was there because I'll definitely be coming through cards later to take a look at that. And um, I, I like that answer about the Kings too, because it kind of segues into another question I had for you guys, which was like, you know, I've seen jerseys incorporate different materials sometimes into them. And I'll give you an example with uh, Nike using recycled plastic bottles in their jersey designs on the Olympic jerseys to make it have like a um, maple leaf reflection effect going on. And I'm, I'm kind of thinking about your answer to the Kings and getting your hands on redoing that. And I think of trim and how that's sometimes been used as an accent piece. Think of like the thrashers, for example, how they had like those different triangles going on. And I think of uh, a Royal coat and I think, you know, how it's white with those black kind of spots sometimes around it that's fluffy and i'm thinking you could make that black spot if you zoomed really in maybe the chevron logo but from far away it would just look like a black spot and you could make that all trim uh and then bring back the purple and and yellow still there for that effect and that's what i like to think about is these mashups and concepts and what you can hide in there and what who does a good job of maybe trying to tell a story in one logo and not going too far in one direction. And um, so there's a lot of ways to take this question, which could be, do you like what's out there as use of negative space? Or do you like when uh, teams use um, the negative space to convey something? I'm just kind of curious what goal, uh, logos out there are impressing you from the standpoint of either using 
negative space or trying to convey some story within their logo design? I think, uh, you know, when it comes to storytelling or, you know, really, you know, using the, the kind of space that you're talking about, Dan, I, I always liken it to uh, a great meal. Some of the best meals I've ever had use very few ingredients, mm -hmm. right? Too many ingredients can spoil the meal. Uh, and we are at this point, uh, not so much in the NHL, but in, certainly in other sports, where uh, teams introduce a new look or a new jersey, and they get very over their skis with storytelling, very unnecessarily to me. Okay. Uh, I think one of the great things personally about the hockey sweater, as we know it in the, in the NHL, for time immemorial, is that it's really honest. You've got a big crest and, you know, sometimes you can have some signature striping, some elements that make the thing whole, but uh, it's not predicated on a lot of gimmicks. Now, a couple of teams that do this very well, and I bet you Chris is going to say, I was going to say that too, would be the Vegas Golden Knights who have beautiful texture, right? But it's not overpowering. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't even know it was there unless you really looked for it. Mm -hmm. But it, it complements the whole thing in a very Vegasy, blingy way, uh, but without being over the top. Um, you know, even the Carolina Hurricanes with the uh, flag pattern, you know, the, the warning flag pattern, which they've had forever. Uh, it's subtle, but it's very effective and it is intrinsically theirs. And then, you know, you have teams, of course, that have, uh, you know, their own striping patterns for time immemorial. Think about the Blackhawks and what they look like. Um, and even, you know, going further back, we talked in, we talk in the book about the Kansas City Scouts, all of the stripes. Oh, my goodness, so many stripes. And even going before the Scouts, the, the Ottawa Senators of, you know, the early yes. days, right? We had just the barber poles, which are so cool. And it is, you know, but, but I guess what I'm trying to say is I think that is a really hard thing to pull off without being, um, you know, without, without uh, twisting yourself up in knots. Uh, the best logos are the most simplest logos, in my opinion. You, you think of your Hartford Whalers, your Atlanta Flames, right? These are the ones that stand out to me where they do so much with without doing too much, right? Yeah. Like, they stand the test of time. Everyone loves the Atlanta Flames and Hartford Whalers logos. And speaking of the Whalers and their use of negative space. Um, but you, I mean, you certainly, just is pretty much the same thing Todd said, and I'm just going to repeat him. And that is, you don't want to cram too much into it, right? Like, um, I, I'm a fan of, of what the Golden Knights have done. Uh, Todd stole my answer and, <laughs> and that what is the Nevada Sage brush, I think is what it is the design that they've put into the shield around the logo on the crest and into the, the striping on the, the gold stripes on the Jersey. Uh, and it's, it's there, but it's not there. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's not, you're not getting hit over the head with it. It's, it's not like uh, some of the alternate jerseys we saw, um, like the, uh, the coyotes with the desert landscape, just like plastered right on there. It's, they're adding this element of their, their local geography, but not to the detriment of the overall design of the Jersey of their brand. And uh, I'm, I'm, because Todd stole my answer with the Golden Knights, I'm going to steal one of his uh, good points that he usually makes on these appearances that we do. And that is that the hockey jersey is like no other uh, because it's not um, 
it's not encumbered by uh, like equipment and and like uh, like okay. a football jersey is just right. giant numbers right. and the basketball jersey has to have big numbers and you know short sleeves and all that the hockey jersey is basically all about the team it's the largest canvas you have to dedicate to a team design and that's probably why uh, we love them so much yeah, I, maybe. I don't, I can't explain why I've been seeing my therapist about it for years. But, uh, <laughs> well, one other thing I would quickly add to that, uh, which sure. I think Chris nailed it, is, you know, you think about the hockey jersey worn outside, right? Not tucked in. Mm-hmm. You have uh, all of this, you know, opportunity to uh, have striping, right? Which very traditionally will kind of squeeze the eye to the really important stuff, which is the crest. And then, of course, we get to the Vancouver Canucks of 1978, which I don't know we want to expand upon, but, you know, it is a very different approach to that. But utilizing that expansive canvas that Chris discussed in a very revolutionary, uh, intentionally revolutionary way. And and another one that did it and then did it well and poorly, in my opinion, but subjective, whatever, is the Thrashers. You've got one time where they use that space to make a non-symmetrical one side be blue just to be that way. And then you also have another time in their history where you see a little bit of a non-traditional striping pattern on the arms to give the effect of wings a little bit more like on a Thrasher bird. And uh, it's just another example, I think, of someone trying to push the creative envelope in that regard. And it's interesting looking at the eras at when they did this, because it can go back to that nineties talk we were saying and be like, yeah, it was pretty experimental back then. Not sure uh, those trumpets in St. Louis were such a hot idea, but uh, (laughs) you know. Well, listen, in the case of the Thrashers, even furthermore, uh, I would nominate the Atlanta Thrashers uh, as sort of the Nike city edition look uh, in the NBA that we see now. On any okay. given night, you know, the Thrashers had a distinctive home and road set, which is quite unusual. It's happened mm-hmm. before, you know, with the Penguins, right? But, um, but I mean, you know, why? What was the point? They didn't look like a unified team, whatever the case. Very, very different uh, color schemes. There you go, Chris. Hold that baby up. <laughs> a lot of co- six different colors, something like that. Two metallics, a cement. Like, why? And, you know, I felt right. that way. Yeah. And um, some other some other interesting uses of space have been back on the Canada thing. The uh, the triangles of gold leaves uh, to signify how many Olympic medals they've won between men, women and Paralympic. And um, that's kind of a neat use of space that's different than the Islanders taking four stripes on the stick to indicate their four Stanley Cup wins or the five rivets on the third Jersey oil to do the Stanley cups, you know, as well. So I like when people hide things without it being a call to it, like, look at this feature, you know, and that's just my personal opinion, because I think I I appreciate people that can be clever with the design and not take the easy way out. And it was just interesting. The logos you mentioned, Todd, because you mentioned the scouts in there. There's a negative space arrow in that logo. Uh, the canes were mentioned. You also have a use of the state of North Carolina uh, in the negative space of the flag 
there and Vegas Golden Knights was mentioned by both of you. And there's people that have seen how it glows when you put that logo under a black light because their one eye like pops and it's like, wait, have we ever thought about doing a Jersey that is colors, but then when you threw it under black light, like was a completely different look. And um, it just gets the mind turning about how to use the same canvas, but then maybe pull off like a completely different second design or something. Um, so anyway, just food for thought, but also just really what what makes the hockey jersey unique. And I loved those those points that you added. So thanks, guys. We're we're certainly out of time in the sense that. Um, I just am so grateful for how much we've spent talking about this and want to be respectful of, of the evening ahead. And before I let you go though, and, and completely let you off the hook. Uh, and I, I do appreciate your time. I, I wanted to take a different approach to our trivia segment because typically what I do with my guests is I'll find out what team is their favorite and then ask them three questions about that team and if they get it right, they win a prize. And that prize is usually either like a copy of your book that's on back order. It's uh, getting trivia questions out of that book. So that would be kind of redundant in this case. So what I thought I'd try to do is use the knowledge you've given me to then come up with a question for each of you. And then I was thinking if there was something that you knew was in your book that you wanted to ask me about, or just some random hockey trivia question, um, I'll see if I can get the answer right. And that way we'll just have some fun with this last segment. So uh, who would like their trivia question first, Todd or Chris, who wants to fall on the sword? Lack of age before beauty. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it. Let's see if you can embarrass me. This would be fun. Yeah. I mean, typically <laughs> I, I, I'll take great pride in stumping you if I do, but at the same time, it's not like I'm masochistic about this approach, <laughs> uh, but we'll see. Um, and it's, it's kind of been talked about. We, we brought up this team. It's related to the Columbus Blue Jackets, okay? And we've been talking about hidden logos and meanings and just the use of a jersey. So the Whalers are like the FedEx logo of the NHL in the sense of using negative space. Uh, and then there's other teams that take a less subtle approach, like the Nordiques using like an igloo and N, and okay, we get it. Uh, and then there's the Washington Capitals with like their negative space, allowing for the Washington Monument to be in there. And there's something really unique about the Columbus Blue Jackets, earliest jerseys. And it's something related to the fabric. So I'm wondering if you know uh, what that unique quality is about the fabric and that why it is that way, what it symbolizes. There was a very subtle and barely noticeable horizontal striping pattern. There it on is. On the original Blue Jackets jerseys. And while I don't recall ever hearing an official reason for this, I'm just going to have to take a guess. And is that, that's not a yellow jacket striping, is it? Is it supposed to look like a, a wasp? <laughs> Yeah. Yes, okay. you got it. You got it. I Do thought I, I thought it a was... copy of my book. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> uh, I was just 
I congratulations. Great answer. Great job. I thought the stripes were related to a U.S. flag because I knew like blue jackets were like kind of a something related to um, just the armed forces. And I, I figured that was the tie in. But your you your guess was spot on. It's related to there's a bee or a hornet called a blue jacket. So it's the striping of the blue jacket. So congratulations. Nice job. Thank you. All right. All right. So now the pressure's completely off you and on to Todd. So I can relax the rest of the show. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, and Todd, I know is a big baseball guy as well. So yours is, is related to just the history of how baseball and hockey are related. And let me just get to it. So there are three teams in the NHL that don't exist anymore, whose names were the same or very similar to ones used by baseball teams. So we have the Colorado Rockies, the Pittsburgh Pirates, and it sounds like if the New York Americans survived a little longer, they would have been the Brooklyn Americans turned Brooklyn Dodgers, right? So only one of these teams, however, was the first in NHL history to have a patch. So which one of the teams is it and what is the patch? So you're saying the uh, shoulder patch, like a sleeve I'm patch? I guess so, yes. Yes, I am. Uh, I would say the, the Colorado Rockies who had the C from the Colorado flag, am I right? Yes, that is that is what they had. I, uh, I I might have phrased the question weird, but I'm looking for if there was a team was the Rockies the first team that had any kind of sleeve arm patch at all, or was it the Pirates, or was it the Brooklyn Americans? The the Pirates had the city of Pittsburgh's coat of arms on their sleeves at one time. A very involved looking coat of arms, very beautiful black and gold. I did. I actually didn't know that. So this is why this trivia is so freaking funny to me, because I thought I'd try to stump you and I'm actually learning. I was wrong. What's the answer, Dan? Hit me. Because you going to say Brooklyn? With the I cross was flag? with the yeah. cross flags. Yeah, that was 15 yeah. years later. See, this is why I need, <laughs> I need more time with the book. And uh, Todd, Todd well, got, we need more Todd's, pictures to Christmas. Uh, see, see, Todd, so Todd said the answer. And I was like, yeah, Todd, you got it. And I looked at yeah, you. Man, and I you Pittsburgh Pirates, <laughs> yep. who had a lot of a lot of different looks for a team that didn't exist for that for many. very long at all. <laughs> yeah, no, it's very strange. Yeah. And, and, and the original black and gold. No, the Tigers were before them, but uh, the Pirates, oh. Uh, see, I could have used this as my trivia question for you. Should I just segue right into it? I go for it. I, I might know it. this one, but go for it. Let's uh, see. I, I gave away, I think I gave away the answer just by talking what, about it. What, how the colors came from the like the city of champions or like- no, I, I, was gonna ask, I was gonna ask you about uh, how the Penguins won their uh, lawsuit over the Bruins, or the Bruins uh, when they challenged the Penguins in the 80s over the color scheme. Uh, yeah, I definitely would have got that wrong because I don't know what you're uh, talking about. So oh. what's what's going on there? Because I Sure. Okay, well, in 1980, right, the uh, Pittsburgh Penguins mid-season following championships by the uh, Pirates and the Steelers. They changed said, their color scheme. Said, we're changing our color scheme mid-season. The Boston Bruins protested, saying, we own this color scheme in the NHL. Okay. 
the pirates, <laughs> I buggered this up. The penguins uh, uh, gave a reason why they should be allowed to use the black and gold. What and was the was, reason? And it was because of the Pittsburgh Pirates originally and the team yeah. being there originally and originally using those colors. Were, yes, the Pirates wore black and gold before the Boston Bruins ever did because the Bruins started off as brown and gold. Look at this. Oh, you're, uh, oh, your green yeah, screen. I think like, uh, <laughs> all I, I can see is divine imagery. Of our book. What page? You will see a lovely illustration done by yours truly of a Pittsburgh Pirates player from 1925 on 177. Mm. And on his sleeves. Oh, yeah. Oh, the coat of arms. There you go. There you go. I think Todd should win two books for that. <laughs> I would like two books. I can't wait to win <laughs> Oh, man, I can't wait either. And I know a lot of people across Canada are really chomping at the bit because they couldn't oh. get the ones that were, some of them couldn't through Amazon, where I'm in the States, so I was able to. Uh, and I sent off as many as I could buy to the people I knew couldn't get them. And uh, I know that they're just super excited for the next launch, too. And Hey, I've been super excited to have you guys on. I, I'm now in the hole getting more copies of your book. Like I needed an excuse, you know, uh, to share the love and wealth. I'm just so thankful for your time, guys. I know that we, I could have kept you longer. I know if you want to stay and go through my closet, you're welcome to hang on the phone with me. That's totally a thing. That's not weird at all. Um, and also just before we go uh, and formally say goodbye to our listeners as well, I want to give both of you a chance to um, just say whatever it is you're working on or how we can follow you on social media or what's the best way of getting in touch with you for other copies of other books that you've written or other projects that you're on. So um, I'll start with you, Todd, if you don't mind. Sure. Thank you, Dan. First of all, thank you for having us. What a great conversation. Uh, I personally love these discussions because we discover people who are oddly much like us, <laughs> you know, passionate about what other people think are unusual things. So thank you so much for having us. So uh, your listeners can find me at my website, toddradom.com, T-O-D-D-R-A-D-O-M.com, a wealth of stuff on there from, uh, you know, uh, my, my uh, design work to the blog that Chris referenced before. Uh, and you can hit me on the socials at Todd Radom, and that would be both on Twitter and Instagram. Thank you so much, Todd. Really appreciate it. And Chris. Yes. Uh, well, you can find me here. Sportslogos.net. Sportslogos.net is the website uh, with the, you know, the news and the logos and the form and all that. Uh, Twitter at Sportslogos.net. Instagram, I believe, is the same. Uh, we have the YouTube channel and uh, that is youtube.com slash sports logos, not.net. And uh, what am I working on now? I, uh, the uh, podcast with Paul yeah. Lucas, which uh, is called Unified. I think we're recording an episode tomorrow and uh, that's the latest. And uh, the book, you know, the book, that's the only one I have. Uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm not a veteran of the uh, published word uh, as Todd is, um, but uh, hopefully more to come. And uh, I, I want to thank you again for having us on here because it was a lot of fun. Oh, great. Uh, thanks so much, guys. And 
um, have a, have a great week. Good luck with your next episode of your podcast, Chris, and uh, your next virtual book signing tour, Todd, or whatever it is. <laughs> well, can't wait until we get to do it in person, but first yes. things. Yeah. And, and enjoy the games that are going on. I hope we make it through the season all healthy and safe. So thanks guys. Have a great evening. Thank you. Yeah, that's the funny thing about um, this collecting business is it's like you actively want to invite people over into your basement and it's not a creepy request at all. <laughs> <laughs> you know. All right. Um,